0: This is a Need 10 Media production. All right, welcome aboard, my friends. It's Nate Kleberg. And in this episode, I get to introduce you to someone I was just introduced to, and that's Tim Schur. He's had some great experiences in his life, and now he's an author, and he's making his way into his next step of his career. And that story is just beginning I welcome on Tim Scherer. Quick question that I'm going to give you right away that I tell everybody or ask everybody. You're 18 years old. Where did you think your next step was going to go?
1: I wanted to be the next John Mayer. <laughs> that, is,
0: that was it
1: for me. So I graduate high school and I was planning on going to a community college in Kansas City where I grew up for a couple of years. That was at least the next couple of years on that plan. All my friends are going off to college and I'm honestly just a little bummed out that I'm the guy staying home. Felt like I kind of failed. My goal then was, okay, if I'm not going to be going off to school, then let me make the most of the next couple of years when I'm going to be at this community college. And I just started writing songs and started to record them and release them. And had this new goal and dream of becoming a singer songwriter and making that my job. I did that. I I I created some records. I started selling them. I was playing coffee shops, bars, restaurants, wherever people would have me, to put me one step closer to that dream. And before you can have a thousand fans, you need ten. And so, okay, where can I go get in front of the next ten, hoping that. One thing would lead to another. I have some kind of big break, and I get to be a musician. That was what I was thinking at at eighteen year old, just graduates high school. Well, did
0: did you feel like you did you have people that were in your corner that are saying, you know, Tim, you can do this. You're gonna do it. You're awesome at it. Did you have those people in your corner? And I'm sure you had some that were in the opposite corner.
1: The one that I really remember is my mom's always been the hey, chase your dreams. You can do whatever you want to do. And I don't really remember any naysayers. So you know my my dad's passed now, but you know he he definitely was of the parents more the okay how is this actually going to work? So you could call that a bit more the naysayer. But Tim, walk me through the actual plan. Didn't really have great answers. I just knew let me just take some steps and figure this thing out. And when you're in college, the stakes are pretty low. I, I didn't have to start making money at that anytime soon. So I knew I had a, a bit of a runway before me. So I end up my third year of school. I had a cousin who was going to Belmont University and that's in Nashville and figured, okay, if I want to take this to the next level, let me go be in an environment where other people are wanting to do this. Let me go learn from people in a city where this is the thing. And what I was trying to do is just spend time with people who were further ahead than I was on that journey. Let me learn from them. I've, I've always been a study best practices kind of guy. And as the youngest of five kids, we were a, a blended family. So I had some step people in, in that mix as well. But as the youngest of five, I grew up learning to look to my left and to my right, see what everybody else is doing and figure some stuff out and maybe not make the mistakes that they made. And so I didn't have any siblings that chased the music thing in, in this way, but still I had just kind of learned that way of, of thinking and, and, and behaving. And so I get to Nashville, start meeting and and trying to connect with other musicians. What's interesting is a pretty big shift happens for me uh, on this journey. So I'm on this tour with a guy named Steve Mochler. He's a guy that I met at Belmont. He was getting so much attention. So Steve, I approached him and thought, okay, this guy's getting so many plays. We should do a tour together because I could expose myself to his fans. This is another one of those steps that i can take to find that next 10 fans right so i approached steve in the belmont cafeteria pitch him this tour concept he says yes so what i found was in the middle of this tour we did 10 shows in 11 days or something like that mostly through the midwest night after night steve was selling three to four times much merchandise as i was the the fans were singing along to his songs it's like he wasn't even trying and he was really successful and comparison is hard to deal with at any point in your life but especially in your early 20s when you're trying to figure out who you are and there was this book that I was reading around that time by Chip and Dan Heath called Made to Stick and there's a line in that book that really just stopped me in my tracks it said are you demanding or attracting attention and I thought back to my last few years trying to make it as a musician trying to be famous and I was realizing I was demanding attention, you know, and I write write this book that just released a couple weeks ago called The Secret Society of Success. And in it, I talk about something called the spotlight mindset, which is this unhealthy desire for attention and recognition. Everything in me at that time in my life, I thought to be successful, I had to step into the spotlight. Right. Being famous was right. the goal. It's fame, money, power. That's what success is, right? And, yeah. and, and I learned that that actually, that pursuit, the thing that I was up against was, it was I was comparing myself to Steve. I was measuring my own success, my value, and how many people knew my name. And there was a a, a, a great learning opportunity when I started to ask myself and start to ponder, maybe being a musician shouldn't be the goal and maybe wouldn't be my career trajectory.
0: And and it's, it's, it's rampant right nowadays. It's, it's very easy. Once you put an iPhone in a kid's hand or they see somebody out there and you see the likes or you see uh, influencer money or whatever it happens to be that that is rampant right now. And you discovered that back then, but as you were talking, you were talking about uh, you're talking about Steve. I'm guessing he didn't have that mentality. He was having fun he was doing. He was honing his craft, not worrying about who was following or buying his t-shirts or things like that. Is that would that be the comparison? I
1: I think so. I, it seemed that way.
0: You know, I I don't know exactly, but
1: it definitely felt like he was just doing the thing, and focusing on creating really great songs, really great records and, you know, the fans just kind of came as a byproduct of that. What's happened over the last 15 years of my life is I've started to redefine what success is because at that part point in my life, I really thought success was fame. And like you said, this is rampant right now. Kids these days, if you ask them what they want to be when they grow up, they want to be YouTube stars. They want to be famous. And so what I've been on this journey since that moment, me graduating from high school, I've started to redefine what success actually is. There's a, a story that I, so helpful for me as a model for another way to live if success isn't fame, money, and power. So, what if for us, as we think about navigating our lives and our careers, what if we started to redefine success not by fame, not by power or anything? What if we found contentment in the role that we played, the seat that we had? What if we realized that every role was necessary for the mission to be successful, so we found the lane that really fit us? Rather than trying to be the thing that maybe we're demanding attention for, what if we actually started to find our groove, our thing? and you know what that looked like for me is i was trying so hard to be a musician but the logistics and the planning and the operations side of things was so easy for me so i've stepped into roles that have been me leaning into that skill set and that's when i really started to find momentum and when i really started to find the meaning and the fulfillment that i was looking for in this pursuit of being a musician i actually found Stepping behind the scenes, and I, I think that there's a lot of people that just don't believe that you know success is only being the boss or success is only the you know the person who's in the spotlight. I think there's a lot of different ways that we can think about this and and pursue uh, meaningful lives. That there's some other uh, other approaches
0: here. But you know, you talk about your role when you when you went out on tour with Steve. Your role really was you allowed him to reach more people. You were trying to make it about you, but you actually were making it about him. You were helping him. That's the role that you played going out on the tour. And a lot of times people miss that, the role that they can have in that area of music that you're in or, or whatever they're producing, having those roles. And I, you know, I listened to the podcast you had with Dan Cockrell and writing your book. It wasn't just you, you, you had roles from other people that, that came forward to help you accomplish. I, I say help you accomplish it but it was getting your ideas and some of those uh, pieces out so we all can benefit from that.
1: In 2017, I'm at an event and I hear Andy Stanley speak and the event was around, how do we find our purpose? It's a great thing for us to be thinking about, you know, asking questions like, why am I here? That's a pretty common question as we're on this pursuit for finding purpose. But Andy says, if we want to find our purpose why am I here is actually the wrong question. And it's the wrong question because we're making it about ourselves. Andy says, the question we need to ask is this, who am I here for? And what I love about that question is it allows us to show up and bring our best, to bring our skills, our talents, our abilities, to bring everything that we have. But what I love about it is it puts us in a headspace We show up in the posture of helping somebody else. And if there is a common denominator for the people in the secret society of success, it's this idea, it's a foundation of helping somebody else win. So when I am at my best, I'm not as interested in my own journey. What is in it for me, I'm actually really content when I am setting somebody else up to win. What if success is in the assist? What if rather than worrying about our own climb up the ladder, our own amount of visibility and whatever it is that we're doing, what if we focused on the assist? That is, I think, a
0: starting point for all of us to just really ask, who am I here for? What, you, you talk through the music, starting off, looking for that music career evolving into helping somebody in the music career. And then you went down a path you probably never even forecast uh, in, into working in a, in a company that helps people with not their their stories, but their songs and their businesses. And you spent a, a, a lot of time in, in that world, but how did you crack into that? I started to realize
1: my skill set was in operations and logistics and managing projects. And I actually became Steve Mokler's manager a few years after that tour. I was the business mind behind the operations mind behind what he was doing. So let him have the time, the space to write songs and and then let me run the business behind the scenes. I'd just gotten married. I just knew that if I wanted to, in the music business, a lot of those jobs you're out and about. I mean, you're traveling a lot. We had just kind of decided that for the first couple of years, when my wife's in grad school, I need to just find something that will land me at home a little more often than if I were to be somebody on the road all the time. So I applied at Apple and got a job at Apple, which was an incredible career experience. I'm working at Apple full-time, but on the side, I'm managing Steve. Well, first I thought I was going to run an Apple store. That was one of my immediate dreams. I I was a good personality for Apple. Loved the product, loved the culture and the environment. So there was a time when I thought I was going to run an Apple store. Maybe well, the I music got, stuff was going to go away,
0: and I'm going to step I, into that. I got to stop you there and say, why? Where did the Apple thing come in? It was just random, right? I'm going to yeah. I'm working at Apple. Wait a minute you were yeah. you were just playing, you know, you were just uh, talking music, and now. I guess if you want to bridge uh, iTunes, Apple music, okay, yeah. we can we can connect it. Talk about making that choice.
1: I've always said I want to work a job that I enjoy, that I'm passionate about. I'm not going to just go do something where I'm clocking in to make a paycheck. That that just doesn't really work for me. It may work for some people and they can do that. It I just can't do it. I thought, okay, what are two companies that I would want to get behind? And I applied it. Apple and Whole Foods, and I ended up getting that job at Apple, so I just wanted to work somewhere that I could get really excited about, <laughs> so that, that's kind of where Apple came into the play, in, into the mix for sure.
0: Yeah, I'm just on your LinkedIn, did that for you know pushing three years. Your your dream of running the Apple store, something must have came in and interjected, and, and you changed paths.
1: Yeah, so I started to get a little tired of working when none of my other friends were working. Retail's fun, but you're working nights and weekends and holidays. And it was like my third year in a row flying home to Chicago because I had moved to Chicago for that couple of years when my wife was in grad school. So I'm in Kansas City with my family, fly home on Christmas Day back to Chicago so I could be at work on the 26th. That just kind of started to be a grind. The dream kind of faded from running an Apple store because I, I just realized long-term, this isn't the kind of schedule that I want to have. Even a store leader, the person who is running the whole thing is working those kinds of hours. And that wasn't going to be a win for me long-term.
0: Well, I was going to say that, that's something I spent time in broadcasting, spent time in college athletics. That's nights and weekends. You know, there's, yeah. there's a lot of hours tied to that. And that's an aspect I think when when people are thinking about careers or pathways, they look at title, they look at money but they don't look at some of the other stuff that has to play in as far as the lifestyle, the uh, people you're around, the location you're in. And that was something you had with retail and music was the same type of thing. And, and then you have to really, you're, you're making priorities on what is important to you. And it sounds like that's what you were doing at that point.
1: I played sports growing up, felt like my parents were just always around. I mean, I got to, they, they were there at my games. And even though we didn't have kids at the time, I started to think what would need to be true to be able to go to a four o'clock basketball game for one of my kids someday. And me being a traveling musician, me running an Apple store, it was unlikely that that was going to be true. So I started to think about and invest in a kind of job that would allow me to be at a
0: basketball game at four o'clock. Talk about that path from Apple on 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 to story brand the the dream shifted from okay let me
1: let me run an apple store to let me be an artist management because artist management is you can set it up to where you're not really traveling your home your your artist is maybe out on the road but you're kind of holding down the fort i had this dream of okay if i could go get three or four clients maybe i could transition from what i was doing at apple to full-time doing artist management and i'm working with Steve Mochler. And then I also worked with a guy named Al Andrews, who had written a children's book. And Al is speaking at an event for Donald Miller. At the time, Don was doing these life planning conferences. And, and I had known Don through some mutual friends. But my guy, Al, is speaking at this conference. So I'm interacting with Don and you know his team. Come to find out, Don had a, a key role on his team. And somebody was transitioning out. I was a really good fit for that role. I didn't really even know I was applying for the job, but I apparently was applying for the job while <laughs> I was uh, kind of around that conference. And um, I get a phone call like the, the next couple of days after the conference, and them saying, "Look, I'm curious if you're the guy for this. We've been looking for somebody. You have the skill set. Don really wants to start a company. For a while, it was just he as an author, and he had an assistant and you know, they would do these conferences and he spoke a lot and was writing
0: books, but he wanted to start a company. Would you say you were doing talent management at that point? Was that kind of, yeah. that, it yeah. was that skill set you were going to, you were going to yeah. manage Don as the talent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the way that Don and I, you know, it, it was less like author and a team where I wasn't like a manager, but you know, I, Don in time, as we created story brand, it, he, he was CEO and I was COO. It's very much the same skill set of working alongside a creative, a visionary, and putting the business and the operations side, making and and focusing on that so he can go out and do his part. So I'm really good at pulling teams of people around a project or an idea to help execute it at a really high level. And so that's what I started doing with Don and do that for almost 10 years, grow the business from $250,000 in revenue to $16.5 million And team of 30 people. And, you know, I'm kind of running that thing alongside Don. I mean, it's, it was a dream job. I, I don't know how else to talk about it. It was remarkable what I got to do and experience. It's just one, one decision one year after another, and you just keep growing. And, and over time, as we started adding more and more team members, I ended up having to drop the author, the other author I was working with, Steve and I, you know, after three and a half years, I stopped working with him and went kind of all in on on StoryBrand. So, meeting Don and and getting to work with him, that was the beginning of a pretty remarkable, I mean, decade of my life, which is crazy.
0: Well, the well, you know one of the cool things that comes out of that of when you can find somebody that you've met for the first time or haven't don't know very well, but they can read a person really well and get a sense of. Uh, you know, Don saying, okay, this guy, Tim, there's something about him that I want to see if we can work together. You know, I think, I, you know, I advise people that, you know, somebody, they're always being evaluated. You never know oh, what yeah. that reason is, or like you said, you're being interviewed, didn't even know you're being interviewed. And next thing yeah. uh, you get a job you hadn't even applied for. If you can find those opportunities that somebody sees something in you that maybe you don't see in yourself, you have to take advantage of it at least give it a good look. At Apple we
1: would never hire for skill set. You're hiring for personality and you teach the skill. When I worked at Storybrand, I hired every single employee and so much of what I was looking for in the kind of team and culture that we were wanting to build was really great people. There is a level of competence that you need to have in a role. It's a remarkable team. as as people are even navigating their lives and their careers, to be a really good person to be around, somebody that people enjoy, you're bringing energy and fun and making things better when you show up. That's a really great place to start. And I think for so many people, they are, so there's a book called Give and Take by Adam Grant. And he talks about those two different kinds of people. You have givers and you have takers. And a lot of people, screw it up by trying to be a taker they're they're showing up and and are they're always asking what's in it for me adam grant actually says that you know givers in the long run are the people that win i just love this little section that describes a giver because if i would have known to think and do this earlier on in my career i probably would have gotten to where i've gotten so much faster Because I was, I was dealing with that spotlight mindset. I wanted the attention, the recognition. I wanted the spotlight to be on me. But I've learned to define success differently. I've learned to ask, who am I here for? I've learned to set someone else up for the, uh, for the assist. I have learned that success can look very different than it being all about me. And one of the ways to do that is to do what Adam Grant talks about, be a giver. He says, givers are a relatively rare breed. They tilt reciprocity in the other direction, preferring to give more than they get. Whereas takers tend to be self-focused, evaluating what other people can offer them, givers are other-focused, paying more attention to what other people need from them. These preferences aren't about money. Givers and takers aren't distinguished by how much they donate to charity or the compensation that they command from their employers, Rather givers and takers differ in their attitudes and actions toward other people. If you're a taker, you help others strategically when the benefits to you outweigh the personal costs. If you're a giver, you might use a different cost benefit analysis. You help whenever the benefits to others exceed the personal costs. Alternatively, you might not think about the personal costs at all, helping others without expecting anything in return. If you're a giver at work, You simply strive to be generous and sharing your time, energy, knowledge, skills, ideas, and connections with people who can benefit from them. And so much of what I've been doing over the last 15 years is investing into people, being a giver, and, and not giving for the sake of getting something in return, but just helping somebody else win, period. I think that is the the pathway that a lot of us can start heading
0: down that'll lead us to a much better place. That segues perfectly into your book, giving something that uh, to, to people through the experience, through the connections, through the knowledge that you've gained uh, in your professional career and the connections you've had. Uh, you've got this book and you've talked a little bit about it. Doing this, you left the story brand world and you're on your own as an entrepreneur, talk about that decision. Talk about, uh, I'm sure you've had some people of, what were you thinking? What are you doing? <laughs> you know, And, and like yeah. you said, that story has yet to be written, I think. You're just, you're just beginning it right now.
1: I started to put together the plans for what it would look like to launch the book really well. And that looked like me being on a lot of podcasts, me starting a podcast of my own, me doing keynotes. I mean, there's just so much. The closer I got to the release, the more I realized, man, I something's got to give because I can't invest all that I need to on this book and not drop the ball in my day job. I just wasn't going to let anything slip. I, I I just saw it coming. I don't really like to do anything halfway. So started having conversations with Don about the plans and really it just kind of came down to making an impossible decision. Do you leave a dream job to go chase a new dream? I just believed in the content of the secret society so much that I just thought I got to chase this thing. And I'm really proud of the work that I'd done with Dawn and, and building that team and, and building that company over that time. I'm also just so excited about stepping into a brand new territory I love learning and there's so much for me to learn in this next season. So it has me leaning in really excited and I really am having as much fun as I've had. And and it's not that one is better than the other. I'm just enjoying it and in a new way because I'm having to grow and and learn in in very different ways. So yeah, I I walked away in, in February and it's really cool because when we told the team about my transition Don said, "Tim helped make my dream come true. I want us to now do everything we can to make his dream come true." So I felt nothing but support from Don and the team to kind of help me launch. Well, the book came out May seventeenth. A few weeks before that, I launched my podcast, which is called "Build a Winning Team." Uh, I had my first keynote on the Secret Society at the beginning of May, and one day at a time, (laughs) I'm, I'm I'm really trying to stay committed to this, which is this idea of success is in the process. And that is very challenging at times. You know, what do we do when we don't hit our goals? What do we do when revenue maybe is down? It's so easy to want to jump ship or abandon it, but I'm trying to lean into this idea of this is about the long game. This is about being a giver, adding value to people. Doing something that I think is good for the world and putting good content out and just trusting that if I stay focused on those things, the results will come and and really to look at success as it being about the process, not the result.
0: Well, Tim, I appreciate you taking the time and I'm going to put the links in to, to your podcast to get to your book. It's been great to connect with you. And the last question I I have had so far for everybody, and I think I'm going to modify this a little bit. I'm going to modify it for you. The traditional question is, if, if I'm that magic job genie and I wave my magic wand and give you your dream job, what is it? And I think you're on your way there. But my challenge is you're just beginning this story. Give me the vision of what you feel like the dream job will be. You're in it but what's it going to be? If I forecast five years from now,
1: I can honestly say I would love if it looked exactly like what I'm doing right now. I would love to be writing books, giving keynotes, releasing my own podcast episodes. And then I have one client that I work with that I help them produce a podcast and I'm having so much fun. So I help people build winning teams. That's what I do. That's what I'm passionate about. If my life looks like that five years from now, I'd I'd be pretty happy. And this is for me, the North Star. And if I can stay focused on this, I think I will continue to be experiencing the meaning and the fulfillment that I really want in in a life and a career. And it's this quote by Albert Schweitzer. He says, I don't know what your destiny will be, Perhaps some of you will occupy remarkable positions. Perhaps some of you will become famous by your pens or as artists. But I know one thing. The only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. And I think that's it. I want to stay focused on that. And I think
0: if I do that, I'll I'll be okay. Tim, that's a great way to end it. And I appreciate you taking the time to be on That's a Job podcast.
1: Man, Nate, thanks so much for having me.
0: I've I really enjoyed our time together. Thank you again for listening and being on this journey. And please subscribe and share this podcast, That's a Job. It's on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The That's a Job podcast presented by Career Adventure Academy, and the college and career discovery course. Discover the work you are wired to do. Now go live your career adventure. If you haven't done so already, hit subscribe to enjoy future episodes. Build your career adventure at nateclayberg.com. Production assistance provided by Bill Jordan voiceovers. Visit billjordanvo.com. This podcast is a Need 10 Media production.